Now, we are recording on the Friday the 13th, at least over Ooh, by me. auspicious day, 13th. Unlucky for some. <laughs> Unlucky. Well, no, that's Thursday the 12th now, right? <laughs> that's true. Thursday the 12th is the unlucky number. What a disaster we have witnessed in the... Not really. You know what? I shouldn't talk. It's a... It's a, it's a a learning experience. What's the word I'm looking for? A not centralized, not certainly not the other word segregated, but what's that word where everything is just in one one particular area? Well, it's it's the, the attention was certainly focused on Luna and US um, UST as we saw a collapse in the in the token price of ninety odd percent in the in twenty four hours. See, I was trying to be nice. I didn't want to say just Luna, but well, but that's what kicked it off. Yeah. Unfortunately, it had to be someone. Someone was gonna gonna take a kicking at some stage. Take what was interesting? The team. Yeah, but what was interesting um, was who was behind it. Very, very important multi-trillion-dollar corporations, if you ask me. Yep, and you know, using their economic firepower, using their ability, but probably more importantly, it demonstrates that if you like, Main Street, Wall Street, traditional finance. Um, is very much keeping an eye on the whole digital asset sector. And although we have been banging the drum for um, for over four years in Digital Bytes, trying to um, illustrate and demonstrate examples of not just in the finance sector, but in the pharmaceutical sector, in the property sector, in the retail sector, in the petrochemical sector, and we go on and on and on. Loads and loads of examples of how blockchain technology and the digital assets they create, um, it's not just about speculation. Um, it's about incentivization. It's about loyalty schemes. It's about stripping out costs. Um, and a lot of the technology behind certainly the initial cryptocurrencies, um, you know, it's, it was always going to push the envelope. And, and what we've seen um, for, for, you know, for, for new listeners in, in this week, um, sort of mid-May 2022, we've seen how, um, you know, one of these algorithmic coins um, suffered a massive collapse in confidence. Uh, but that is not unique to, um, you know, a cryptocurrency, because ultimately, as we were saying just before we came on the air, James, um, it, when it comes to money and investing, the most important thing when you invest money is confidence. And if the confidence goes, whether it's in a property in New York or Paris or, or London or whether it's gold or whether it's, you know, the mighty US dollar, when the confidence goes, there's only one way the price is going, and that's down. And that's what we saw this week. Confidence evaporated um, and the price just imploded. And OK, yes, it lost a few billion. But ha- hang on, hang on. We've seen a trillion dollars in the last week wiped off of the Silicon Valley darlings. You know, the fangs, they've suffered a, a pretty steep fall. And many are arguing that fall is just the start of what could be considerably more as interest rates are having to be uh, driven higher because of inflationary pressures, which, you know, the Ukraine-Russian situation hasn't helped matters. But this was coming down the track. And we've written about this and we've spoken about this, James. You know, inflation has been, a, 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 it's just been there on the horizon. People say, no, it's not going to come. It's not going to come. But you've got the definition of inflation is too much money chasing too few assets and therefore people bid up the price. And that's exactly um, what we're seeing with inflation rates rising, Bond prices are falling, and that's been impacting on the equity markets and, and dramatically we've seen um, in the stock market. And don't forget the U.S. dollar index is at a 20-year all-time high at the time of this recording. U.S. dollar is looking great. Oh, yeah. doesn't it look fantastic? Well, but, you know, what's, um, what's interesting, and um, I won't touch on it too much because I've just written the article for, for actually for next week. Um, and if you look what's happened to the Russian ruble, you know, most people spoiler ruble. alert. Well, but the Russian ruble is um, is actually now higher or stronger in value now than it was than was the beginning of the year. So, you know, we've seen, um, you know, who would have thought that? But that that's where. But but more on that next week as we look at. I was going to say, how, I don't I don't how, suppose it's stronger by 40 billion, is it? Wah, wah. You better move on to these articles. We're all going to get ourselves in trouble. <laughs> so, Only a so few week, people got that. I know. I know. <laughs> so this, so this week we, we, we're looking at um, NFTs, um, how they're being treated now and categorized 
certainly here in the UK, is legal property. And we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, we've also got something else with NFTs. Um, are they just a passing fad or are they here to stay? And that, that's created a bit of a stir. Um, and then we're looking at sort of Web3 and tokenization of, of everything. And, you know, good old Web3 back on the metaverse. Um, and then after the break, I'm delighted to have uh, Timo from Swarm Markets back talking about, um, well, basically begging the question, um, you know, are we going to see sort of open finance sort of kind of sort of being um, replaced and we're going to go straight to DeFi and the DeFi is going to enable greater choice for investors, um, not only in terms of where they can go, but also the access to the type of investments. And um, there's a very, very strong and I think a very logical argument to say that DeFi is almost turbocharging a lot of the initiatives and desires of governments who have said, look, we need to have more competition, less reliant on a handful of institutions and potentially DeFi's come along and um, turbocharge that. So that, that, that's after the break, James. Yeah, no, that's 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 more my old wheelhouse over there. Start talking about maybe algorithmic trading on smart contracts. I'll do that. Yeah. So it's that's that's that sort of gig. But but I just really wanted to kick off um, very quickly without being sort of too sort of xenophobic, jingoistic, um, and patriotic for 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 good old blighty, because you know it kind of gets under my skin a bit. We invent all these games like cricket and. Um, football, or I know you call it soccer hey. and, and, and rugby, and we seem to keep losing the darn things. Um, but <laughs> one one thing that the UK um, is seen to be probably preeminent in terms of its positioning and the respect that it has is the legal system. I thought um, you were going to say I thought you were going to say fish and chips, but yeah, yeah, sure. Well, and and warm beer, we're pretty good at that. Not not many other places have warm beer. Um, but no, the, the legal system, is, and this is really important because certainly when you start having um, change and, and particularly creating a sort of a new asset class, which we've seen in the last um, few years with a relation to sort of digital assets and cryptocurrencies in particular. Um, and then along come these NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And, and, and people say, well, look, I've got, I've got this collection of bored apes or whatever they are. Um, I, I want some insurance because I've just spent a whole lot of money. I want to make sure they're insured or I want to use them as collateral to perhaps, um, you know, to, to, to borrow other monies. But the trouble is, is if, if a non-fungible token, if it's not legally treated as property, it's quite difficult to sort of borrow money against it. It's quite difficult to get insurance. And it's actually very difficult if someone steals it to then pursue them through the courts and say, hey, James, you've stolen my NFT. I want it back. And so, you know, del- Delighted this week, um, or sorry, last week now, um, there's uh, a, a high court case bought by um, a lady I know, uh, Lavina Osborne from uh, Women in Blockchain, and successfully um, got a ruling that actually um, NFTs are indeed to be legally treated um, as property, which means that if you steal an NFT and, the, and they can then track down where that NFT is, maybe you're going to try and sell it on um, somewhere else or is put up onto an exchange or something like that, then the courts can go through and say, no, 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 that belongs to Johnny. You've got to give it back. You can't go and sell it. And that brings in a lot more security. And, and that ruling came off the back of another ruling around um, Bitcoin, which is to be treated as property back in 2020, a couple of years, well, certainly 18 months ago. And so we're beginning now to see, you know, a series of case studies and case law which other than um, court cases will then defer to and saying we can have some security, some provenance, some understanding, some appreciation and some guidance on future law cases, which makes it a lot more certain for insurers, therefore hopefully low, lower premiums and the ability to get insurance for, for bankers that will lend money and institutions will be happy to get more engaged in, in this. And I think other countries will look to what we're seeing um, in the, in the UK and say, well, if the UK has um, ruled that, why can't we rule that? And I think we'll see other jurisdictions following suit and, and maybe get a little bit of clarity. I know back in the US, which I know there's a bit of frustration, some of your friends and colleagues, James, that the, it's not quite as clear given the federal and state system you have in the US. Yeah, you know, it's the problem with the US is that we frequently change our minds. I mean, quite honestly, we down from the Internal Revenue Service all the way through the Department of Health and Human Services. 
They don't. Do you want to pay for your health insurance or crypto? Well, we said it was a, a it was an asset. It was a property. So no, you can't pay for your your health insurance with a vehicle, right? So then they go, oh well, it's it's only a property if it's not now a security token or a utility token, and and the capital gains are the same across them. They don't know what they're they don't know what they want to decide with crypto. Somebody else does have to do it. It's my opinion. Well, but may, maybe if we start seeing other jurisdictions giving a bit of clarity, maybe they'll they'll coalesce and come to something which they're more comfortable sort of being definitive. And I, I but I think overall, that would be a good thing for the industry. And actually, hopefully we'll see adoption there for some of the efficiencies we know they've been generated, um, you know, coming coming through for the end of the day. And that's important for initial in, individual investors and obviously society as a whole. And I, and I know you, you referenced Coinbase in the article and. It's probably a good example of, of what's happening, which is Wild Week. Um, because of the United States flip-flopping and being Wembley, you know, we had made a recent rule. Nobody caught that, right? Maybe, and I don't know if we discussed it here, but maybe we should have. So the, the United States government said to Coinbase, if you're going to go on this road, this path to regulation, and, and you want our blessing you're going to have to treat the assets on the exchange as your own and not your customers. Otherwise, no game. So, of course, Coinbase said, well, we got you know, to stay afloat. So they made that, that determined that ruling. Now, if I hold Bitcoin and you hold Bitcoin and we're both on Coinbase, legally, Coinbase is the owner of that Bitcoin until you or I take an action on it, right? So now it's becoming a service provider. They went ahead and, and, and the manipulators, and I blame social media, not, not the real people with the big boy pants, but the social media people went on and said, Coinbase, not your keys, not your crypto, we know that rule. But they went ahead and they took advantage and they looked at the 10Q earnings report where Coinbase had to seek confidence, and I think you started to talk about confidence earlier, Coinbase had to seek confidence for its investors and let them know, God forbid we file bankruptcy. Understand that the customer base is not a creditor. That made the investors feel great. That, yeah. that was reassuring. That was a confidence booster. You know, okay, we're going to abide by this rule, but don't worry. This is how we solve it. And this is what this rule means. Now we're out flooding Coinbase. Now the people that claim to be crypto experts who have no idea what they're really talking about. I, I, you know, I was going to run a funny song for the podcast uh, based on Billy Joel's or We Didn't Start the Fire. And it goes something along the lines of don't create a stable algo. And it was funny and I can't find it. But you know what happened? I found a video. Coinbase bankrupt exclamation point. Watch in 24 hours. You need to know this or your crypto could be gone. Yeah. That we can't just we can't do this. The and it's the United States, I'm sorry. Guys, we're 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 being dumb. Well, and 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 one of, you know, one of our papers here in the UK, you know, the, the heading headline was Coinbase warns it 98 million customers they may lose all their crypto if company goes bankrupt. Well, Hang on, why is Coinbase any different? Um, you know, if Coinbase was sitting and, and interesting, they have filed with the USA. They want to start selling their um, customers stocks and shares, equities. So you telling me that um, you know, if or, let's say ten percent of their clients, I nine point eight million of their customers, end up investing in stocks, that they're going to have to say, oh, and if we go bust, we're going to, um, you could lose all your shares as well. Of course they're not. And and there is this, I don't know, that there's a misplaced negativity when it comes to cryptocurrencies um which the, the press and the regulators seem to be almost myopic in terms of their focus and, uh, and and looking at through some of the headlines last 24 hours about coinbase and we will move on but but it's interesting you know coinbase you know real t- missed their earnings you know goldman's are giving up on on their, them as a stock they all and missed we, their earnings uh, and do you know do you know what happened to the price today i did not look today up 20.29 percent Oh well, it's bounce day. It's Friday the thirteenth. Absolutely. So it's bouncing along nicely. But um, but, but yes. So but, but the bottom line was what I wanted to put across was 
yes, the UK is going to have to solidify these these standards and procedures because in Japan, Mount Gox, for example, was responsible for the the currency as creditors. Now we're going to say in the United States, Coinbase is not. Yeah, we got to pick one. Somebody's got to pick one. Well, I, I, I can't I can't see how if Coinbase go bust, um, how you know they can say that they're going to claim um, all their clients' crypto. That's that's just madness. It's not theirs. It's not theirs. But but James, just finishing off on this, you know what most people don't realize is that ninety percent, if not ninety five percent, of all U.S. equities are owned by one entity. Your 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 shares that you own, you don't own them. Correct. The legal ownership does not reside with you. The legal ownership resides with something called DTCC. And they legally own the stocks and shares that are held by all the different brokerage accounts, by all the different mutual funds. And they they actually have the ownership. And then they pass the rights of stock ownership in terms of dividends and voting rights back down to their beneficial owners. So you tell me that for some reason DTC got hacked or went, you know, suddenly went bust, then all the equities in, in of, of the US um, suddenly go down the pan and meet the liabilities of DTCC? Well, that'd be an interesting question to ask some of your friends in the SEC. Right. And then what exactly are the uh, the protocols for what they consider clearing, right? Precisely. Precisely. But um, but just 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 moving on, we one of the other things, um, one of the other articles that we did write um, was we were looking at, um, because we've been asked this question several times and um as as james knows we were um we were in holland early this week um with a with a um a U, a european funded um entity called two tokens um and they uh ran a workshop with about 70 or 80 um a broad range of europeans looking at the tokenization of energy the tokenization of share registrars um the the, the tokenization of a number of different things nothing to do with crypto it was all about if you actually tokenize real assets or tokenize the procedures and processes, how does that help? And they've been doing a lot of work with the Port of Rotterdam around logistics and moving the stuff and, and working with a number of leading um, legal firms um, such as Evershed and CMS and, and banks like ABN AMRO and, and really digging in and saying, okay, well, look, there's some tangible benefits of tokenization. And then all of a sudden this thing, NFTs comes along and, and it seems to cover a whole multitude of, of, of sins um, and, and opportunities. And what, what we're seeing is really tokenization, NFTs are putting a digital wrapper around, it, it could be um, the NFT that we've launched this week ourselves, James, you and I, is just a, as a, you know, as a interesting exercise. It could be an NFT on a lottery ticket. It could be an NFT, as we've talked before, on, on your car or, or my house. Or it could be, you know, an NFT on a piece of art, which, you know, Beebles, it was about this time last year, he picked up a, um, well, sold it for $69 million, a digital representation um, of, 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 a, of a piece of art. And, and what's interesting is the, un- again, if you look at the underlying rules and regulations and some interesting comments came in um, this week from a U.S., predominantly U.S. law firm, Baker Botts, and they're quite unequivocal about it, about the, the legal position of NFTs and the fact that if the underlying security isn't regulated, um, then the NFT doesn't become regulated, despite some confusion over here and with the UK legislators saying if an asset is held effectively on a blockchain, um, then it needs to be treated as an NFT. But alongside that, we then saw the Series A, which is the Italian Football League. You know, they gave away 10,000 tickets to 10,000 people, the ability to watch um, one of their football matches in Africa um, and really democratize the ability for, you know, some of the football is fantastic in Italy and, and, you know, the broadcasting rights didn't cover Africa in this particular format. And so they gave away NFTs to enable people to, to watch a football match. So we're seeing it in many, many different ways. But one of the things that we did touch on, was that we just posed the question, are we going to go back to self-regulation? And we, we, we took as an analogy um, a, a famous lady in France, and, and I'm sure many other people around the world have heard of her, called Marion Antoinette. 
who was the ex-queen of France. Um, and she actually said, nothing is new, but what has been forgotten. And I thought that was quite prophetic because actually what we're seeing is the blurring of lines, certainly from a regulatory point of view, because of non-fungible tokens. And, and we're seeing exchanges and, and KYC and AML and, and, and terminology, which is normally the preserve of financial markets, being rightly introduced and used when people are starting to trade these non-fungible tokens, even though the underlying asset, it may be a film for, you know, that Hollywood are producing, or it may be a lottery ticket, or it, it may be, um, you know, uh, for, for a property or a classic car, or it could be that Michelangelo painting that we talked about in the Uffizi Gallery. So we're seeing a whole load of different completely non-regulated assets. And for the benefit and the structure and the confidence, and again, that word confidence going forward, are we going to see people engaged in NFTs wanting to go back in time, like our friend Marie Antoinette, and instead of having regulation, rely on self-regulation? Because it wasn't that long ago in the UK, it was only 18 sorry, 18, 1986, where effectively, you know, we had regulation and, you know, you shook someone's hand and my word is my bond. Across much of Europe, they'd gone for a period of deregulation up until 2008. And then we had massive regulation come into force and, and pretty much the same in, in, in the USA, whereby there hadn't been a huge amount of regulation. And we've seen lots of regulation. And I wonder whether this is we're going to look back in 20 years time and see much more self-regulation an automatic, um, if like, execution of procedures and policies through the use of smart contracts and the like. Well, that goes back to touching maybe on Jane's article, right, with the Web3 and tokenization of everything. Yeah. Uh, by breaking it down, physical asset, services, intangible asset, native, stable, I might go as far as to say, go even a little bit further. Uh, she's on the right track in that article with if we broke down the, the categories of what type of asset the NFT is representing, it'll be easier to regulate. You'd, you'd be able to say, look, this is a, a credit card debt in form of an NFT or a vehicle title, as opposed to Johnny Fry's Andromeda NFT. Yeah, yeah. And, and what I particularly liked in, in that article is there's, there was a great chart of what can be tokenized um, and actually just to the right, um, one of, um, off the top of nearly 30 different asset classes were virtual collectibles, crypto um, critters, uh, and sort of cryptos. But all the other stuff, you know, you could tokenize, you know, food, trademarks, patents, um, commodities, um, cars, all sorts of different things. And, and actually, the crypto side is just one very small part of this ecosystem. And I think that's where NFTs um, rather than me seeing as a product, I think they're almost being seen um, as, a, as an adjective to describe something um, of, of how they're being held. And you, I think you could almost replace NFT with a, and it's not as eloquent, but a digital wrapper, because that's essentially what they are. They're giving a digital wrapper on something underneath. An NFT in itself doesn't mean anything. An NFT is simply um, a digital representation of something that it actually holds, that it represents. And, and that that and that could be anything. It could be an idea. It could be an image. It could be a song. It could be a security. So, um, yeah, there, there's that blur blurring the lines again. Yeah, and unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but I guess the the term NFT should probably go the way of Frigidaire and Xerox, right? Let it become a verb. Hey, I'm going to go NFT my car. Yeah, like Hoover. Hoover. Do you have that in the states? So, uh, you know, you say, oh, you say to the kids, can you do the hoovering? Oh, okay, for vacuuming. Absolutely. You're going to do the vacuum cleaning. Hoovering? No, see, we would throw food in the Frigidaire. Frigidaire. <laughs> and we would Xerox a, a ditto, right, in homework. <laughs> I have to go Xerox my ditto. God, I'm old. Uh, got a photocopy, you mean. <laughs> yeah. So now we'll have to NFT our images. It's but like because it's an image, it wouldn't be. You know what, they, you know what a microwave's called in, in Welsh? Oh, no. Pippity pong. Okay, that doesn't even what? <laughs> Pippity pong. Pippity well, pong. Yeah, because when, when at the end of the minute or two minutes, the microwave goes, bing, bing, doesn't it? It ping, pongs at you. So, All right, I'll give you that. 
allegedly the, the Welsh don't call them micros. They're so stick in the pippy pong. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I could be 46 years old and still learn new stuff. <laughs> hey, what do you call a phone? Yeah, I had a, a friend of mine was from India, and we used to, he was teaching me a little Hindu. Like I could say, Mira named James. Hi. My name is James. I used to say, I said to him one day, I was like, well, what is car? And he looked at me and he went, car. <laughs> I was like, it was, everything was ruined for me. I was like, oh, okay. It's like the French were having a big thing about you couldn't use English words. And I think it's still law in France, um, music channels. Um, Two thirds of the music has to be French music. So that's why they play a lot of Johnny Halliday. Um, but that's a different song. But then they said, well, what about your language? And you'd say, what do you mean about the language? They said, well, you know, if you're coming to France um, under the sea, you're coming on Le Channel. Um, and then you'll, you know, when you get there, you'll have Le Burger um, and you'll probably order it on um, the PC. You know, and they said, well, OK, all right. Maybe we have used some of the English words in, in, in the French dictionary. But um, but we, we do the same. You know, you're very laissez faire. Oh, you're very laid back. So yeah, yeah. We, we like using different words, but. Sorry, we're going off piste, so to speak. Um, and I know we've got Timo coming up after the break. So um, as ever, if, if people want a copy of Digital Bytes, um, it goes out every week, then please contact either James or myself. Um, and the whole essence behind what we're doing here is really trying to highlight examples of how, where and why blockchain technology and digital assets are being used. Um, there's no investment recommendations. There's no tips. Um, Cyber.fm are not regulated. Neither are we uh, on Team Blockchain. But we, we use this as a service to help people understand some of the some of the challenges and some of the opportunities in, in these sectors. And uh, that's what we do, James, once a week, isn't it? Well, I was going to say we are so unregulated that don't forget, we we created that soapbox episode that of you. We have a Spotify link over there on LinkedIn. And but of course, in Cyber FM, where it was just you and I we're getting really good at just going off on tangents and ranting. So it was just you and I with no guest flaunting our opinion around, and we really did focus on NFTs. That's a bonus episode, and if people like it, we're going to start doing more of them. I think we call them soapbox. Soapbox. Okay. Sounds good to me. Sounds and don't good. forget, and don't forget your, your NFTs for sale. You better go hawk right. yourself. Well, we'll have, to, we'll have to see what we can do. We might do a digital bite NFT and have a bit of Uncle Sam and Blighty all rolled into one somehow one of these days. Shill some Johnny. <laughs> okay, we better go because Timo's in the green room or the blue room or the red room or whatever room we call it these days. Probably the digital. It could be the NFT room. Perhaps he's in the NFT room. The digital background room. <laughs> okay, we'll be back after the break. But thank you for listening to us all again this week. And um, we'll be back very shortly um, after the break. This is real-time music playing, cryptocurrency-paying, free money radio, cyber.fm. Man, we are back with our old friend Timo from Swam Swarm Markets and uh, offline, without the recorder going, we are just talking some crap about what's going on in the whole, this whole past week. And I was like, guys, we're limited on time. We got to go straight to this whole will we skip open finance and go straight to DeFi, realizing that it's probably prophetic that it's a good timing for that article anyway. Did you do that on purpose, Johnny? I wish I, wish I, had, I, wish I had such a, a trusty crystal ball, but a um, bit of a Freudian slip there, you know, swear markets, swarm markets. Because <laughs> uh, I think there's a fair few people out there going blast, drat and blow and oh my goodness. Um, we've seen obviously all sorts of volatility in, in the crypto sector, but but before we get into that, uh, Timo, welcome back. I'm delighted to have you on the Digital Bytes show here on Cyber.fm. And um, really interesting because you've, you've, the, the basis of your article is, is actually, it has a lot more implications than perhaps many people realize because this whole movement and desire by many, many governments for open finance, and you're sort of kind of posing that question, um, are we going to skip all that? And is DeFi going to come straight in and actually provide a lot of the solutions for open finance itself? Is, is that a fair summary or am I getting ahead of myself? Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks. And great to be back. Um, um, thanks for inviting again. And uh, well, you know, it, it, it's really a, a question of perspective, right? Because like if you uh, look at where banking is today and then you think, OK, we need more competition and hence you get, you know, open banking and PSD2 and that's all great. 
and 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 that kind of brought us to where we are today with the fintechs and um, uh, neobanks and, and so forth. And and I think you know that's been really good for the market and for you know for users in general. Um, but also, if you think that like the future will also be like an extrapolation of that architecture and that way of thinking, then that's where you know we think differently. And uh, so, especially when when you kind of think about it more from a kind of a decentralized perspective, and then if you if you're like like we are sitting around thinking about DeFi all day then you kind of arrive at a, at a different conclusion altogether as to, you know, how this could, could be solved. So instead of basically having large institutions gradually opening up more and more so that, you know, we would basically extend beyond banking and, and kind of look at a personal finances across like things like mortgages, insurance, and, you know, all, kind, all kinds of different assets, uh, brokerage, and, and then bring that into the kind of the open banking model um, so that's kind of what people call open finance, right? And and there's like a couple of ideas around data sharing and stuff like that that could facilitate those kind of services to be built. Now, if you just flip that around and just think about like how, how DeFi addresses some of these um, aspects, then it's all kind of turned towards the a user-centric model where, you know, the individual has their wallets with a certain set of assets and then they basically go out and and, and scout for various kinds of like financial applications, uh, DeFi applications that they think might make sense for them to deploy assets into. So it's, it's almost, a, it's well, it is completely the reverse model where I'm not really kind of sending my assets to an institution and hoping that, you know, that's going to turn out okay and then I'll get the reports and, you know, behind all the fractional uh, banking complexity, I might know where my assets are, but most likely not. Uh, whereas in in DeFi, I, I I know where my things are. I have self custody. I have a level of control in terms of like, you know, both viewing where my assets are and what I'm doing with them that I don't have in traditional kind of with traditional institutions. So I think it's just a it's just a very different way of approaching um, the solution. I would say, and and so so that's kind of where we're coming from. Okay, so Tina, let me unpack some that a little bit and put it into. Um, sort of um, sort of simple speak. So at the moment, um, if you've got a whole bunch of equities, um, in theory, you could do something called stock lending. So you could lend those stocks, not sell them, lend them and you get paid um, a small return on that for um, ha- lending your stocks to perhaps other people that um, want to go long on them or maybe want to use them as collateral for shorting, what have you. Um, and that, that's been a fairly well-established 99.999% of retail clients would never do that, um, don't know how to do it, because that's a game played by institutional players. Mm. But what, what you're talking about here with DeFi is that I've got some assets, and we're talking about real assets, we're not talking about some of this crypto stuff. We're talking about assets such as maybe real estate, or it could be some bonds, or it could indeed be equities or commodities or, or cash. Yeah. And you go onto a, um, a platform, an exchange, um, and... The difference is, is that instead of then going to a broker or a market maker or to um, a bank, you're, you're basically saying, look, I've, I've got some assets here and I, I'm, I'm happy to have those used as collateral from which loans can be made, securities can be created. And me, the owner of the assets, effectively, I'm sweating my assets. I'm working my assets harder and getting a better return. Yeah. That, that's really what it comes down to. And, and it's also, this is where the cross-category application becomes more interesting as well, right? So typically today you have like in your brokerage account, you can get a margin loan, but you can only use that loan to buy more stocks or bonds or whatever you have, you know, yeah. as part of the offering of that brokerage application. Whereas here in, in DeFi, you could basically take a tokenized stock and put in as collateral to do something completely different with, you know, with your, whatever your lended amount is or borrowed amount is against that collateral um, you can just decide for yourself what you want to do with that with that asset or that money. So I think that changes things a lot because now we can start like u- utilizing and activating, like you said, assets in a different way than than we've been able to do um, before. And and it creates this flexibility to kind of apply, you know, various assets across different applications. And then I can you know leverage them or use them as collateral or just kind of you know, stake them uh, to get additional rewards. Uh, there, there's a number of different things that you can do to kind of, you know, activate those passive assets. Okay, so do you see, um, you know, take me as an example, and I've got $20,000 yen, euro, no matter what it is, 
And I could then go to a platform and say, look, I don't have the time and expertise um, or inclination to, to, to buy and get individual exposure, but I will perhaps want to put it into a pool, into a um, like a collective where I've yeah. got a spread of different assets and I've used my, 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 my cash or my um, bonds or my equities, but now I want to put it into perhaps a, a pool of, I don't know, pool of commodities, or maybe it's a, a pool of, um, you know, I'm a sterling based investor. And maybe I'm looking and thinking, well, look, the US dollar is doing really, really well. I want to go into a pool of US dollar assets and, and perhaps have an FX play. Mm. Um, so are we going to see like a managed solution or do you think it'll continue to go down? No, Johnny, you need to pick individual assets against which your current portfolio will be exposed to. Yeah, I, I think there's, uh, well, it's a couple of analogies we can do here. I mean, on one hand, you will have like through the digitization itself, you get more like control and autonomy to do things by yourself. So if you think about like the travel industry 20 years ago versus now, I mean, we're doing a lot more by ourselves online than we were like calling somebody to get something done maybe uh, before. So on one hand, yes, you need, you need to know more because you can now do more and you have your more, more responsibility by yourself. But also with that comes also a number of like innovations such as like, you know, crypto indices and other like you get index products and other things that you can purchase that have been packaged for various types of um, let's, let's call them investor categories or user categories. And then so that takes away some of the complexity of like analyzing each of these individual assets and, and trying to understand the risks and nuances of each of the, um, of the assets in a basket. But then I'll, I'll just buy a basket because like somebody is describing to me, like these things together have the following kind of risk profile and, you know, they might make sense to you or not. Like, and so I, I think it, you know, there is like that layer of like um, service or abstraction or whatever you want to packaging, if you will, that we're seeing being developed now. Uh, which simplifies, you know, these kind of use cases for the user. Okay, and presumably using smart contracts, I could say. But if my if my my package or if my exposure, um, my capital falls by a certain amount, I can use a st- use like a, a smart contract to trigger stop loss, or I could use yeah. a smart contract to say, look, if the value, um, and you know, we were talking a moment just off air about obviously what's been going with um, USDT and, and and Luna and all the rest of it. So I can say, look, if 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 for some crazy reason um, this um, you know this crypto were to fall by fifty percent, well, I'd like to buy you know x amount of it, or if it falls by ninety percent, I'd like to buy x amount. Um, may not have turned out to be the best idea, but you could effectively put in pre-programmed buying um, prices um, in the event that you wanted to pick up some sort of asset on a flash crash basis. Right, or or the opposite, just like put in a smart contract based. Um, um, a sell order, basically, that you say, okay, when an asset reaches this particular level, then I want to get out of that position and liquidate whatever is in that pool. Or, or take uh, your profit. You know, yeah. so suddenly, you know, there must be a lot of people here thinking, well, I wonder what's going to happen now to some of the tech stocks. And, and you know, as I mentioned to you earlier on, you know, in the last week, we've seen over a trillion wiped off a handful of um, the Silicon Valley darlings. Now, there's going to be some people out there going to say, well, I reckon now some of those Silicon Valley stocks they've had a real tumble um, i'm going to buy them and if they suddenly bounce and make 20 percent in the next whatever period i'm happy to take that profit off the table so you can also use smart contracts not only to protect the downside but effectively take profits on the upside presumably yeah and and so these so this is kind of part of what we see as like building blocks so if you look at like algorithmic uh, algorithmic solutions like that then those things become building blocks. And then once, and the cool thing about DeFi is that you can combine like several things with each other and, and, and they kind of, so that kind of building block, you know, for to take profit, for example, I could apply across different types of liquidity pools or, or, you know, swap products, et cetera. So I think that's where we see that this is getting built now. And, uh, you know, obviously it's, it's a tough week to promote DeFi, you know, in the light of what's just happened. But at the same time, I think, you know, on one hand, it's it's like obviously a lot of people that, you know, have lost a lot and it's a very difficult situation for them. Um, on the other hand, you know, all these like, you know, whether you want to call that a black swan event or a predictable event, we can argue about that. But it was a big event and um, all those bigger, larger events in the market, um, they tend to actually accelerate uh, progress in some ways. Um, and we'll see exactly how this is going to 
play out between like further maturity of the crypto space versus regulatory crackdown on like, you know, or increased focus on stable coin regulation and things like that. But, you know, so there's a number of things that are both, I, I suppose, have like an accelerating nature, but also some, some things that are probably going to hold back evolution uh, somewhat as well. Uh, but, you know, in the end, it is, you know, it's quite inevitable that, you know, these things will move forward and, you know, we'll kind of, I guess. Log Tim, Tim, I think you're being I think you're being very modest. Um, you know, one of the reasons that we, we wanted you to come back on to the Digital Bike Show um, is that you you still swarm markets um, still are one of the very, very few licensed DeFi platforms. So I think that what this week has taught many people, hopefully it has, is whilst not everyone likes regulation, um, it, it does afford levels of protection, um, typically stronger system procedures, due diligence and things like that. And therefore, a, a, a regulated, you, you know, you're, you're licensed by BAFIM, the German regulator, and yeah. therefore people looking around the world at, Okay, the DeFi sector, we can see the advantages. And if you've got a straightforward choice between, you know, one exchange that is and one exchange that isn't regulated, I think the more sophisticated and certainly the institutional investors are likely to come to someone like yourselves rather than an unregulated exchange. No, that's 100 percent true. And, um, you know, I think I think that is one of the aspects where when you when you talk about things like stable coins, I mean, I have my view um, of like which stable coins I would use and why. And, and we've been actively um, implementing USDC um, on swarm markets because we think that's the stable coin that is um, the most stable, if you will. And then we also implemented DAI because we've been working for a long time with the MakerDAO uh, people on um, basically using alternative collateral for issuance of, um, of DAI. Uh, but in the end, it's like, you know, it does matter, right? It does matter. I mean, the reason why USDC, I think, is, is strong is because it has a... Uh, an auditable, you know, collateral model that I think makes sense. And, and you know, it, it's not fully decentralized and it is possible to stop transactions and all the rest of it. But it is actually, compared to everything else, a stable, stable coin. Um, and this, this is something that you can't argue about some of the other. Even Tether took a dip 5% yesterday and a lot of that capital went into USDC. Um, but yeah, so coming back to the licensing aspect, well, yes. So, you know, if, 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 you know, if you compare like putting monies, like meaningful amounts of capital into something that's unregulated versus regulated, the, the regulated platform has, there's a lot more recourse for users to get compensated or to get to know that there's um, procedures behind what's going on uh, on the investment side that have been vetted by a regulator. Um, so, so that's obviously the benefit. So that's going to attract not only a lot of institutional investors, but also some retail investors, I believe, that have a hard time understanding all the nuances and complexity behind some of the DeFi applications that are out there. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and Tim, I'm, I'm interested, a lot of what we're talking about um, for certainly more sophisticated investors, and certainly we have a number of institutions who, um, you know, that, that they, they have a license and they're, they're clients of, of um, Digital Byte, so we know they, they, they listen and they certainly read some of the articles that um, that we publish. Surely the institutions have the ability to do some of this already. Well, where does DeFi give them an added edge? Um, or is it the fact that you, you're able to disintermediate, I take out some of the friction costs and, and do things more, more efficiently? Is, is that the real angle, you would say? Yeah, I, I think it's like if you, if you create a base layer that is, let's say, that is compliant under, you know, some or, or many regulatory regimes that are become like the financial primitives that you need to build a number of financial applications, then you can actually start innovating at a speed which probably outperforms, you know, traditional institutional uh, banking infrastructure pretty Got easily. It. So the composability and just the speed to come up with solutions that make sense to users, um, it's just very different in DeFi. And also, you know, the transactions are, you know, on chain. So there's the, you know, the transparency aspect is also quite critical. And then in the end, like depending on how you view this, my, but my experience is at least that by having self-custody or at least a custodial solution of my choice, I can basically make the calls as to when I want to get in or out of something when the markets are at, you know, at their toughest conditions, right? So Typically, a lot of the centralized institutions are, 
you know, pretty much like, if not shutting down, then at least being like, you know, basically unusable during the time when you need them the most, i.e. during market crashes. And so then you can argue that, well, you know, Ethereum didn't work particularly well either during, you know, the last correction market correction and it became super expensive. Yeah, but I mean, if I have a $100,000 position that I want to liquidate and it costs me three grand to do it in, in gas fees, I'll take that, right? Instead of just sitting there and having it drop 40%, um, you know, over the course of 24 hours, you know, should that happen, right? So those are the things that I think I value. But I mean, I think, yeah, a lot of users are just, they have different like rationale as to why they would trust like a programmatic, modern software-based solution versus a traditional financial institution. It's like a generational question. And it's a little bit of like a, depending on like, yeah, how, how, I guess, to some degree, how computer savvy you are, or like what, how, how digital you are as an individual. Yeah. Well, certainly the younger generation is more and more digitally engaged. And if you look at the volume of, um, of trading that goes on the, on stock exchanges, certainly more and more of that is, is driven by algos and computer trading, as opposed to sort of, you know, the old boy network in bowler hats and sort of quill pens who, had to do their trading for lunch because after lunch they had far too much port to drink. But uh, <laughs> that's all a bygone era. James, um, you've been very quiet. I know you, uh, you, you've been online quite a lot and you've seen you came across an alpha that, that knew that this market was going to crash and be telling everyone. And he, he, he got under your skin a bit, I think. Oh, it was, uh, it was an interesting interaction in social media. <laughs> and you know how social media goes. But it was more so, of a shill. And, and the past few days... I've been watching people really, really brag about how they knew this was going to happen. And everybody's bragging that they knew it was going to happen. And, and of course, I think Timo touched upon it. A lot of us knew that it could happen. You know, nobody's going to have the finger of God and say at, you know, 2311 universal time, this is going to crash. But we all, you know, we saw things that we didn't agree with based on our experience. And uh, this guy called himself an alpha and insisted that everybody has a responsibility to bring their friends and family to his organization. To be slaughtered at his altar, no doubt. To be slaughtered at his <laughs> altar. Oh, look at me touching a mic. When are you going to buy me a microphone? Oh, goodness sake, you, have, you bought yourself a new microphone a couple of weeks ago. You eating it or something. I'm very violent. The market's crashing. I'm throwing microphones across the place. <laughs> it's a, it's an oh, expense. Dear. I got to write it off. But dear. yeah, so these so, guys, but these, but I'm seeing. It, 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 I was five years ago. I would say there was. We don't need any regulation. You know, we got this under control. And I came from Wall Street, right? Now, five years yep. later, I'm on, I'm here with Timo, and I'm envisioning a smart contract react built system uh for a front end where i'm dropping down that i want to place an iceberg order uh at 10 percent discrepancy and i want to walk dark markets at the same time right now i'm completely back into where i thought i was leaving because quite frankly we need this regulation now we we yeah. we gave some of these people a chance and we gave them transparency and we gave them a little bit of morals and they just destroyed it. it they destroyed it look, look james you, you've you've been in you've been in wall street um t- team i think you worked in wall street for a little while didn't you yeah i was running an sec licensed institution at, at some at one point in time yeah yeah and you you spent a lot of time in europe I, i've personally been regulated most of my working life and you know on the whole you know the reason for regulation as we all know is because you know they've been bad actors people have done things which with the benefit of hindsight it, it you know it would be better if that hadn't happened. So we put in these rules and regulations to stop it, to try and make it fairer for um, other parties. And quite frankly, I think it's it's naive and pretty stupid um, for us not to learn from our um, from our experiences and try and import the best parts of the regulation um, into a, this new digital environment, so that we can move forward, you know, faster and cleaner and and have the same confidence and trust. Um, but more so um, in markets, because that, that has to be a good thing. But but just trying to digitize existing rules and regulations that were based on paper based systems 
that that doesn't seem too clever to me. But yeah, I think there's a we're seeing the DeFi market open up, Timmy. I know it's difficult for you because you you're having a number of conversations which at this stage have to remain confidential. But you know, you well know some of the stuff that's going on behind the scenes. And I I think the next 12, 18 months is going to be really exciting for the DeFi sector as we start seeing more institutions coming in, more more liquidity. Might not be super sexy products. Um, but it's certainly going to be um, a real challenge to existing markets and those incumbents that are still trying to scratch their ear and say, you know, how do you spell DeFi? Because you know, we come across a lot of that here in Europe. You know, they're still trying to work out, well, why? What, what does it mean? Why do we need to even bother about it? Um, yeah. So, but yeah, I think, you know, it is, you know, some of it is, is pretty sexy if you look at it from a crypto point of view, because like you can actually start introducing assets that are, you know, explicitly our securities that you can like basically apply to non-licensed DeFi. So we can build products that are a combination of uh, crypto assets and, and, and TradFi assets. And I think that's a pretty cool thing because that actually brings, you know, kind of the asset universe together from a, with, with a very user centric perspective, right? So like, before it's been very kind of polarized in the sense that, you know, either you're a crypto or you're a TradFi and there's no crossover and there's like a lot of religion around all of that. And where like, if you actually put on a user hat and there's like, no, I actually want to have these things put together. I want to look at it from a kind of a holistic point of view. And so if I have like, you know, this real estate asset over here or these stocks over here, I want to be able to use them with my, you know, debit card over here. And then I want to be able to do this over here. So it's like, if you actually think about the user experience and how to improve that, and then if, if like, that's how we think about it. And then how do we improve that under a regulatory umbrella that doesn't like look like clunky old banking, but actually is exactly like DeFi. Once you have onboarded, you cannot see any difference between like what we've built and basically another, let's say, call it a DeFi liquidity pool or whether it's our OTC product or something else, they all look the same. You sign with MetaMask if you want to, et cetera, et cetera. So if like, if, if we can build that, then that's pretty sexy. And then, you know, then we go from there and, and, you know, on one hand, innovation gets a little bit slower when it's regulated because you need to kind of, you know, implement some belts and whistles and, and file um, some prospectuses here and there to get things to market. But, you know, once you've done that, then, off you go. And, off and, and yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Okay, well, Tim, um, thank you very much. And, and I know um, if anyone wants to get a copy of uh, Tim's article in this week, Digital Bytes, then obviously contact either James or myself. Um, or or, or Timo is on LinkedIn. It's um, for those that don't know, it's T I M O, and his surname is Lees, L E H E S. He's the co founder of Swarm Markets. Um, as I say, a German regulated. Um, a platform regulated by BAFIM and um, I'm sure we'll get you back on the Digital Byte show in a few months and hopefully be able to give us an update and some real examples. It'd be great to hear some um, in some of the products as, as they start coming through on the exchange and what are you doing and um, you know just perhaps go through some case studies because I think that absolutely really is tangible. Yeah looking forward to that as well yeah th- thanks Charlie thanks James I uh, appreciate yes, it. Right. And, right. and James thanks thanks again for everything for this week for Digital Bytes and um, we'll be back on the air uh, next week, with um, we have a um, actually we have another um, sort of returnee. We've got uh, uh, Robert Gaskell from Appold. If you remember, uh, James, we spoke to him about five or six months ago. So he's going to come back on, and he's actually um, he's running a business which is actually doing analysis into the DeFi sector. So almost like an analyst looking at um, different products and exchanges um, of the sort of thing that uh, you know Swarm Markets and Timo and his, his colleagues are running. So. We'll be keeping that DeFi theme running for next week. But until then, thank you for listening. And um, we'll uh, be back on the ways next week, James. Another week. Yay. Maybe I'll be richer. <laughs> I'm sure you, you'll certainly be wiser. <laughs> I, will, uh, I will certainly have more shorts open. Just saying. Okay. okay. Thanks very much indeed. Bye-bye. All right, Bob. Yeah, bye.